before I came up here, my little one uh, drew a heart and then wrote, you can do it inside with an exclamation point and another little heart as the dot. So if I couldn't before, I definitely can now. Um, last time I was up here, I think, unless I was forgetting something, um, I read the entirety of Philippians through. That was the message for that day. Um, and I think it's really fitting that I'm back up here on the passage we're talking about today because the passage kind of goes over again. What I would say is probably the theme of Philippians is joy and rejoicing and not being anxious and trusting in God. Because I think several times throughout, Paul and Tom Kay has noted this in previous messages as well, several times throughout, Paul repeats this refrain, to rejoice, to rejoice, to rejoice, in the midst of some really difficult things. So I'm just going to read the passage, and then I will share my thoughts on it, and I'll share a, a story of my own experience, um, and then I will wrap it up. So this is Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So our family, our church family right now, just in general, I think is, is dealing with a lot. Um, we've heard updates from Tom K., our pastor, and his wife are dealing with some difficult stuff in their family, and a lot of us are dealing with uh, family in distant places who are struggling, and um, honestly, us personally, we're dealing with a lot of unexpected things coming up in our, in our little family. And this passage, in the face of that kind of difficulty, has often been wielded as a bit of a club when dealing with struggles, when dealing with burdens, when dealing with fear, very often this is one of those verses that gets, one of those passages that gets trotted out as a sort of quick fix, or I don't, I don't want to deal with your pain, so I'm just going to quote scripture at you. Like, do not be anxious about anything. And it, it, it can be well-meaning. It can be like, oh, you know, here's this Bible verse which solves your problem, make you feel better. But I don't think that that's what this passage is supposed to be about. When, when Paul says, rejoice in the Lord, he's speaking from a place of imprisonment for himself, and he's speaking to people who are under an oppressive empire. Who is a, It's a very bad position to be in. This passage where he says rejoice in the midst of difficulty is very similar to something that James says in James chapter 1, where he says, 
that our trials that we face produce endurance in us, and we can rejoice in that fact. This passage, very, very crucially, I think, is paired with this statement um, where in the NASB it says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. That comes right after the statement rejoice. And I think that is important because on one hand, we can be trying to help when we say things like, you know, be anxious for nothing or, or all things work together for the good of those who love God. We need to have gentle hearts when we use scripture and consider who we're speaking to and why. And this doesn't just mean being gentle with others, it means being gentle with ourselves. Because a lot of times when we're trying to, you know, be a good Christian, we're trying to follow the word, we'll often use scripture as a club against ourselves, a club against our own feelings. And that is not what this passage is about. Gentleness, considering how can I actually help? This is Paul's heart when he's writing these things. It's not a, you know, no matter what you're going through, you better have a smile on your face. No matter what you're going through, you better not feel anxious. It has gentleness with it. It is not a burden. It's a promise. And similarly, rejoicing here where he says, um, rejoice in the Lord always, he says here, the immediate question of how, how can we do that? in the midst of our difficulty, in the midst of our pain, how can we do this? That question is answered right after this. He says, the Lord is near. Now, on one hand, that could very well have meant that Paul expected Jesus to return immediately. I mean, there was, there was an attitude throughout where they, they believed that Jesus could return at any moment, and he can. Obviously, we're still waiting, and it's been quite some time since then, but he can, in fact, return and just put everything right, right now. But that statement doesn't just mean the Lord is almost here. It's the Lord is near. The Lord is present. The way that Jesus put it, he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that doesn't mean just that, oh, in, you know, at some point, and maybe very soon, but at some point in the future, the kingdom of heaven will be here. Paul and Jesus were saying the kingdom of heaven is here. And it may not be fully realized in all its glory yet, but the kingdom of heaven is in our hearts and God is with us. And that is how we can rejoice in the midst of difficulty, while dealing with difficulty, while feeling difficult feelings. We can rejoice. And that raises the question, well, what, what, is, what does rejoicing mean? Well, it, I don't I don't think that it means you have to have a smile pasted on your face all the time. It doesn't mean you have to pretend that you're happy all the time. It does mean keeping your heart and your mind fixed on the promise that God has given us, fixed on the promise of Jesus' return, and fixed on the promise of his nearness. So that while we are weeping, while we are grieving, like it says in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says he does not want us to grieve as those who are without hope, but we grieve knowing that in the end, everything will be made right. We can grieve, we can feel, we can suffer, we can groan, we can weep, 
And Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. He doesn't say, how dare you mourn? How dare you weep? How dare you not have a smile pasted on your face? Because that's not God's heart. Rejoice here is exhorted. The immediate question is answered by saying the Lord is near. And likewise, do not be anxious is exhorted. And that's the big one. We deal with anxiety in our day and age. And, and, and there's even a, a, um, a mental health element there where there's, 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 there's anxiety disorders. And there are people who mistakenly say that that's, that's just fear. That's just you not trusting God. And that's not true. The feeling of anxiety, the feeling of what is going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. That's, that's a feeling that every human being has. And some of us struggle with it far more than others. But for all of us, there's not like this one pat, trite answer saying, oh, just don't be anxious. Do not be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication present your request to God is not a don't be anxious, just give everything to God and you'll feel better. It is a reason why we don't have to be anxious. It is a promise. Similarly, when the Bible says, I think there, there's, a, there's a statement that often gets said when, you know, the Bible says 365 times some form of do not fear. That's a promise for every day of the year that we don't have to fear. And people will take that and say, there's a command, do not fear. So if you're fearing, you're sinning. No. So many of those do not fear statements have a therefore right before them, which means they're not just a, a command, don't feel fear. They're, you don't have to fear because God is in control, because God is here, because God knows what's going on even when we don't. Do not fear. Do not be anxious. It does not forbid the feelings. It's not forbidding things. It's not forbidding feelings of terror or of pain, of, of tragedy, of, of fear of what may be. It's an invitation into the nearness of God. It's a reminder to say, therefore, do not fear. God is near, like Paul says. Therefore, do not fear. Therefore, do not be anxious. You can give these burdens to God. And that is the hope in the midst of the pain. That is the hope in the midst of fear. Could you bring the big idea slide up, if you have it? Rejoicing is not a burden. It is a hope. And what that means is, again, this passage, these passages are not a club to beat yourself or to beat others over about. It is a promise. It's a hope. In the middle of everything, we can rejoice because we know what's coming. Joy is not a burden. It is a hope. It's a hope in who God is, and it's a hope in who we are to him. When the promise seems faint, when we're dealing with these struggles and all we see is the darkness in the world and all we see is the darkness in our lives and it can be really hard to see an invisible being 
working in our lives. The Bible says in Romans 1 that we can look, we can look to the world. We can look out there. You know, talking about what, what Ben was saying just earlier, you can open the windows and, and smell the, the fall breeze. Or for those of you who, who prefer a different season, you know, we can see God in so many places. We can see God in the actions of people. We can see God in beauty in the world, in creativity. All of those things come from God. And those sort of whispers of the kingdom of God, the whispers of God's goodness can also point to him in the midst of difficulty. And that's what Paul is talking about when he says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. He's not saying put a blinder over your eyes and only see what is good. Have a, have a, a, a only ever have a rosy attitude. Never ever examine what's wrong. Never deal with what's wrong. He's saying we can think about these things. When we, when we have the option to think about these things, we can think about the positive things. We can think about the, the, the goodness of God. And to be clear, I think, um, and earlier in Philippians, he says, you know, do all things without complaining. That's good. We probably should not sit around and just complain all the time. We definitely shouldn't do that. We shouldn't look for the negative in things. But when things actually are really bad, we're not just looking to be upset. We're not just looking at what we don't have. But when things actually are bad, and they are a lot in this life, we still have the option, the Holy Spirit within us calling us to, to goodness. And that, that can, can bring a whisper of light into our lives so that we know that we can grieve, but grieve with hope. Charles Spurgeon says of the, of the, the passages where it's like focus on the, the good things, he actually um, taught that we can even be more active. So it's not just what we set our minds on, but it's what we do with our actions with our bodies, how we serve others. He says, if there is any really good movement in the world, help it, you Christian people. Even if it is not purely and absolutely religious, yet if it tends to the benefit of your fellow men, if it promotes honesty, justice, purity, take care that you are on that side and do all you can to help it forward. I think there's, there can be a hesitation when you look and you see someone, oh, you know, this is not a, a, a Christian organization. This is not the church who is doing something good in the world. But the fact is God, he, Jesus said that God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He will move in the world to, to do good. And Charles Spurgeon is encouraging us as Christians. You don't have to stand against something just because it's not explicitly Christian or it's not Christians who are doing it. But we can seek out those causes and say, hey, we can serve here. We can bring the light of Christ into this, in this place that already has a glimmer, that, that whisper of God in it. And we should put our actions and our deeds behind it. And there are so many opportunities 
in this world, we can look around just more generally and say, like, pursuit of justice, pursuing purity, honesty in organizations. How can we help? And I think maybe uh, a good side effect of that is sometimes when you're dealing with difficult things, doing something, serving others can really help. So again, these statements, rejoice, do not be anxious, they're not these overbearing commands saying don't feel negative. They're pointing to who God is. They're pointing to how he feels about us. They're pointing to the nearness of his kingdom. Joy is not a burden. It is a hope in a promise that God is greater than. It is defiance of darkness. It is raw and honest grief with the trust that it will end. So a couple of weeks ago, I think, um, in Stratford, in our whole gathering, Leanne shared the news uh, with the, the, the whole group about what Tom and Gail were dealing with. And I, while we were sitting there, I ended up writing and, and finishing um, a poem that I was writing that was basically taking Psalm 46 and rendering it into, into verse based on its themes. And if you're not familiar, Psalm 46 has that very famous line, be still and know that I am God. There's another verse that gets thrown around, very, I, sometimes very cheaply, I think. Just be still, you know, sit still and, and, and let God be. And that's a good thing to do. But in context, in that verse, it's not a trite statement to just be calm. In the middle of that, God is breaking spears. He's putting an end to war. He's putting an end to turmoil. And he's saying, cease striving and know that I am God in the midst of storms and pain. So while we were sitting there um, just being a community uh, the other week, I ended up finishing that poem. So I'm going to share that with you before I close. Because I, I didn't get a chance to share it, but I think I, think I will now. God, our refuge, God, our strength. This song we cry at ceaseless length, defying fear's elusive throne. Though pressed by falling mountain stone or silenced by the screaming sea, he always walks beside me. For God, my strength eternally, forever walks beside me. The fiercest flow of river's flood the charge of armies chasing blood will break against the fortress walls, the city where will never fall the night, where God alone is king, where joy is high and evergreen. He breaks the bow and shatters spears. He grinds the sword to rust of years, then rising higher than the dawn and to the galaxies beyond, his voice will sunder through the skies. Be still. Be still and raise your eyes, for I and I alone am Lord. Put down your shield and spear and sword. I am your strength. I am your peace. And strong to hear your rage, your grief. For I will hold the storm at bay, and you will see the newborn day.
Lord, I ask you, first of all, to help us take this passage, take this do not be anxious, take this rejoice in the midst of difficulty and not, not wield it against ourselves with guilt, not wield it against others with judgment, but to take it with gentleness and to let our gentle spirit be known to all, being compassionate and knowing that this is not a burden where we have to feel a certain way in the midst of these troubles. But while we're feeling the difficulty, we have the promise of hope and the nearness of you with us. Please help us to bear this truth throughout our day, throughout the week, and throughout our lives. Amen.